this is turning her into a real person. And I'm like, I've never, I've never looked at my mom like that. It's always, I think somebody was always trying to make her seem like a bad person. So it seemed like my adoption was like this great thing, which it was. But it's like, don't make her look like a monster. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Tamiko. She called me from Seattle, Washington. In her adopted family, Tamiko's parents just assumed that as an adoptee, she was misbehaving. But when her older adopted brother showed up, he actually started framing her for terrible things, trying to force her out. Even worse, he abused her. On her search, she read a description of her birth mother that humanized her, but the first pictures Tamiko saw documented the hardening of a once beautiful woman. This is Tamiko's journey. Tamika was in foster care until she was adopted at about three years old. One day in this uh, foster home that I was in, I was like three, they were like, oh, you know, someone's going to come, come take a look at you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, they might want to adopt you. And I was like, all right, cool. So they were like, go take a nap. And I was like, well, I'm going to take a nap. And now I'm excited. So I go into my room and, and I wait, you know, and I'm kind of peeking around the corner and, you know, and finally, uh, someone knocks on the door, and this, and they open the door, and this woman's standing there, this black woman, and um, and I'm like, mom, because um, I'm, well, I'm black, that I that I knew of at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, and I was living in a foster home with uh, a lot of white so uh, and it was Mormon. You said so you, you were living in a foster home that was predominantly white and it was Mormon. Is that what you said? And it was Mormon, yeah. Uh-huh. So this was in a Utah Salt Lake City. I left that detail out. Gotcha. So, yeah, so me not seeing uh, people of color day to day was kind of like, okay, I'm like the only person here. So when mm-hmm. this woman comes to the door who's black, I'm like, Mom, I'm thinking in my head. That's the first thing that came to my, my head was, this is my mother. Like, and I think that's why it's like embedded in my mind where mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, this woman, are you coming to get me? Like I've always, you know, dreamt you were going to come, wow. you know? And I thought that this woman was my mother. So mm-hmm. of course <laughs> my mother now was like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't deny you at that point. I was like, I have to take mm-hmm. you home. Tamiko remembers the day they left the foster home in Salt Lake city to drive to Seattle. In the car were her younger brother, Kevin, who was about a year old, and her older sister, Kendra, who was about nine years old. Their biological, tri- their biological children to Tamiko's mother, who decided to adopt because she wanted another child, and she knew that not many black children were being adopted in those days, especially in that part of the country. After two years in foster homes, I asked what she felt like going to this new home. I felt as if, like, this is where I was supposed to be. Like, this was it, you know? Yeah. And um, everything seemed cool. She said she didn't remember having behavioral issues per se, noting she probably had some of the same issues any kid has at around that age. 
you've got a toy, there's only one of them, and I want it. But her mother tells a different tale, like the time Tomiko allegedly tried to push her brother out of the window, which she says is not true. My mom knew things from the paperwork that I think she was kind of like prejudging me, you know, like, oh, she's going to, she's going to do this. So I got to be on the watch out for like what she's going to do. There's also information in there that said that my mom uh, was a paranoid schizophrenic, my biological mom. Okay. So she was on guard. Yeah. You know, which is like, yeah, be on guard. Like, I totally get it. I mean, I'm a mom now, so I get it. But it's like, give me a chance. It sounds like you felt like yeah. you were prejudged as guilty or assumed to get, yeah, assumed guilty it. before, <laughs> you know, assumed innocent, right? It was. And so, did that happen a that, lot that throughout happened. your life there? It did. And it affected my mom's, our relationship. In what way? A lot. Just that she would believe the other kids before she would believe me. And a lot of the time, like, she didn't know because she she assumed that I had all of these issues. Like, so many issues. And I was like, I, I really don't. Like, I'm a kid. And I was, you know, like, kids coming from foster care are going to have issues. And she did put me in therapy and stuff. And um, I felt that it did help. I, I, You know, not all the time, especially if I wasn't the one, if I didn't actually do the crime. You know, I'm like, I, I'm not going to fess up to doing something I didn't do. You know how kids are. When they know someone is kind of the default guilty party, sometimes they use that to their advantage. Tomiko said her first two siblings never did that, but her older brother, whom they adopted when she was nine, was a different story. He was 12 years old, and his name was Nathan. The kids were first introduced to Nathan via videos they saw of him while her parents were working on his adoption. Then the family hopped in the car together for the long drive to Oregon to meet him for the first time. And he seemed really cool at first. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, we got something in common. We're both adopted. Man, we're about to be tight. <laughs> yeah, that didn't, that didn't turn out that way. Uh, he basically took my little brother away from me. He was like, yeah, you know, we're going to be cool. And you and your sister aren't going to be cool. Hmm. And so I was like, all right, this is not cool. Like, he, I mean, so he turned the them against day you. that he met me, you could see like in his eyes, like, yeah, what you thought you had, I'm about to ruin everything. Yeah, I could just see it in his face. Like, I mean, like he had, I just remember the instance where he had put his arm around, like we were at like some arcade, like my parents took us to school plays. We could go play and get to know him, you know, and I think the, you know, I think the parents, like the, the, the grownups were, were chilling, kind of talking about the situation with somebody else, uh, maybe the foster parent or whatever. And so um, we were out, you know, on our own, kicking it. Well, I just remember him turning around, having his, his arm over my brother, my little brother's shoulder and turning around and looking at me like, yeah. It's not what you think it's going to be because I'm not going to be your friend. I'm basically out to get you. Tamiko had that sinking feeling on day one. She thought she and Nathan were going to be cool, so she gave him the benefit of the doubt and assumed he was having an off day. Her parents moved the family to a larger home in a nice neighborhood in anticipation of their larger family, and the boy joined their home sometime later. This changed my entire life. 
because my parents never believed me after this point when he moved it because he would set me up. He would, he would tear things up and blame it on me. Like he would tear up posters of my brothers. He would even destroy his own things and blame it on me. And they believed him. My mother, like straight up, like, I don't know what kind of hold this kid had on her. I don't know if it was his story, but she definitely like, just everything was like, oh, yeah, no, like, we, you know, because she's been naughty in the past, we're going to go ahead and blame it on her. So I was like, okay, I, I don't know if I can win. You know, I'm trying to be cool with this dude. Like, I'm going to be cool with you so you can stop doing this to me because I don't even know why you're doing this to me. And then he started molesting me. And then that was it. Our, oh. The me trying to be cool with him was like over. And now I was more, I was just scared. So did you like from nine to so a little after nine, my behavior, quote unquote, which was not really my behavior, got worse. Blindly thinking that her quote unquote behavior was getting worse, Tamiko's parents sent her to boarding school, not realizing the offending party was still living in their house. She went to Intermountain Children's Home in Montana from just after her ninth birthday to shortly after her 10th birthday. At first, she was thankful to be out of the abusive situation, but of course, she missed her parents and her other siblings. Tamiko said the school had a variety of indoor and outdoor activities mixed with play therapy. It was an okay place because it offered counseling and therapy and she worked on herself. At Christmas, the entire family visited Tamiko at school. During the visit, the family was in a lodge where the school held therapy sessions. And so my parents were meeting with one therapist in one room. I was <clears throat> meeting with my play therapist, excuse me, and, um, and I went out to use the restroom, and this guy is sitting, Nathan's sitting in the lobby. And he's trying to get me to go into another room, and I'm like, are you serious right now? I'm at my boarding school. Have you lost your mind? Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, no, like, what are you talking about? Like, I went back in there with my therapist. I'm like, I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't even believe it. I'm like, I'm here because of all the stuff that you're doing. And then you want to bring this here. I'm like, I was just like, okay. So I finished up the program. I, I can't remember when I left or how I felt. I just knew that I was going back to the same situation. And before you, that I left. before you tell me more about going back, just, can you tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about, when you got there, you felt the sense of relief. You've escaped the situation for the moment yeah. and you're in therapy. What did people yeah. believe you when you said what you said? Cause these are not people who've had prior experience with you. You're telling the truth as it's, as your story and they've had no prior assumption of your guilt. Did they receive your right. words and did they, what, 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 how did they, what did they say? You know, me being nine, I'm not exactly sure what they said. Everybody seemed really nice. It didn't seem like I was there for therapy, like a therapeutic experience. It was more of like, oh, I'm taking a vacation. And I happen to be going to play therapy every other day and then going to, you know, class and going to woodworking. And they had a BMX trail. like it, And, and we went hiking and skiing. I mean, I did all these cool things. So I don't think anyone really was like, oh, this is a bad kid. I wasn't a bad kid. 
I was just, I was being framed. And then I was sent to this place where there were kids that were actually doing things that were just like off the wall for whatever reason. And I'm like, I'm not doing these things. Like I was cool before this guy got to our house. I'm being framed for things because he's trying to make, he's trying to get me out of the picture. Yeah. Because he wants the spotlight and he wants me out. And so everybody just, you know, I don't think I, I wasn't telling the whole truth. Like I, I didn't say anything about the, the sexual abuse when I was there. That's you know, what I was wondering. Had no idea. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If yeah. You, if you I divulge didn't say anything that. Because I was scared. You know, I didn't know because, you know, like it's weird. I think in situations to when you're a kid, you feel dirty. Like you're like, Oh my God, I'm going to be in trouble too type thing. And so I just, I didn't share because I was like, I don't know how this is going to go down. I mean, I wish I would have shared and then he wouldn't have been at home maybe when I got home. But, but also was. like, that's some pretty advanced thinking for a nine year old. I could totally see why you wouldn't want to share with anybody, especially because at home when you shared with adults, they basically blamed you for what had not been your fault. So why would you trust right. anybody else if you decide? Like exactly. it, it's a very advanced line of thinking to for a nine year old to say, "Oh wow, these are different adults. If I tell them the truth, then perhaps they will help me." I just I could totally see how you would reserve that and never divulge. Right. Tamiko said she went to the school and went into survival mode. And during therapy sessions, she talked a lot about her adoption. So naturally, they thought she was in their care for adoption-related issues. Somehow or the other, Tamiko was aware that she had biological twin brothers, and they came up during her therapy sessions. One of the counselors at the school took it upon himself to find her older brothers in a foster home in Washington State. The counselor spoke with her adopted mother about locating the boys and asking permission to introduce them to Tamiko, and her mother agreed. The counselor drove her 11 hours from Montana to Port Angeles in Seattle, where they met her adopted mother and a woman named Joycelyn. She was a single parent who fostered, then adopted her brothers. Joycelyn fostered and adopted a lot of children, and they were all of color. She's Caucasian. Tamiko was introduced to her brothers, Holston and Austin, who both had fetal alcohol syndrome. Holston displaying signs of his condition more than Austin. One of his eyes was smaller than the other, and his voice was noticeably scratchy. My other brother, not so much. He looked like him and I look alike, which is very interesting. I was like, oh, wow. My mom's like, wow, you look, I could totally see it. And I'm like, yeah, this is weird. Like, <laughs> never had a connection with anyone that was my blood before. So that was just like mind blowing for me. I just remember being outside and playing with the kids and they're talking. And um, I also remember uh Holson going into a, a seizure, but not like a big seizure. He, they said that they would have small seizures. And sometimes when you're talking or having a conversation, they might kind of like be vacant, like his eyes might roll back. And then, and that happened. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is a trip. Like, yeah, that must have freaked you out. You know, like, I don't, yeah, it was kind of like, wow, okay, I wasn't ready for that, but, you know, obviously we're adopted for a reason. These are the effects of my mother using drugs and using alcohol when she was pregnant with them. Well, the thing is, my mom didn't do that when she was pregnant with me. She was sober. They left the meeting and drove back to the school in Helena, Montana. 
Reflecting, Tamiko said she's surprised that she went along with such a big trip so readily, and she thinks her foster care experience, constantly meeting new people, somehow prepared her. When she left boarding school, Tamiko returned home and things started out fine, but soon Nathan was back at it. She said he was so efficient with his theft and destruction that she, as a child, started to doubt her own sanity and wondered if she was really doing the things he claimed. Tamiko characterized him like a supervillain who poured bleach all over her sister's room or cut his own clothing in his closets with scissors, then ran downstairs to tell their parents that, quote-unquote, someone had vandalized his things. I feel like I was, like, living this bad dream. How can this be possible? You're making me feel like I'm crazy. You know, when I have to talk to my parents about this, and I know they're not going to believe me. I mean, it got bad so bad to one point to where, and I think this is when my dad started locking me in my room, that he, I can't remember what happened, but I know that my father was like, you know what? Get out of my house. And I was young. I, I don't know how, I think I might have been a little, like maybe 10 and a half. And he was like, get out. Tamiko said her father is a tough guy. He's more likely to show anger and irritation than he is to show affection. But when he gets angry, you don't want any part of that. So she knew he was serious, even though she was only 10. He kicked her out that morning and she had no idea what to do or where to go. Lost in her own little life, she walked to the park by herself. She took a nap on a bench, then went into the woods and climbed a tree. With nowhere to go and darkness closing in, Tamiko got worried, so she walked back towards her home, but walked past it to the local grocery store. She wandered around inside and then made her way to the nearby bus stop as the sun went down. The sun's starting to go down, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I'm not going to give, a, I'm not going to tell them that I did this. I'm not going to say it. At one point, Tamiko sees her father drive by, and she figures he must have seen her, but he didn't look in her direction. He kept driving. She was incredulous at the fact that Nathan could show up and wreak havoc on their home, but her parents couldn't make the connection that it wasn't her. So, yeah, he drives by. I sit there. It's getting late at night, and this couple walks by, this African-American couple walks by. I was like, hey, you know, what are you doing out here? And I was like, uh, you know, uh, my parents kicked me out of the house, you know, whatever. And uh, And I'm like... You know, at this point, I'm like, 10 nap, 11 years old? Like, what kid gets kicked out of the house at 11? So they they felt bad for me and was like, and, and of course, here I go, trusting people. I walk with them back towards the house. They sat me down in their living room. They said, what's your phone number? They called on the phone. They say, hey, I have your daughter here, Tammy. She said that she's been, you know, she's been kicked out of the house. And, you know, um, so I get on the phone, of course, reluctantly, because I know that they're still in the same frame of mind. And uh, it was, it's my mother. She's mm-hmm. like, well, she was like, come on back up. She's like, I'm going to talk to your dad. But you just have to say that you, you know, you messed up and you did this. And I was like, but I didn't. And she was like, but you need to just, if you want to come back in the house, you need to tell him that. So basically. I just need to just 
tell them a falsehood, but that's okay. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And they get me. We drive back to the house. Get out of the car. I think my dad came down because I, because once we got to the front door, it was a huge uh, porch with a big swing on it. We get to the porch area, and my dad's like, so you're going to tell the truth? And I was like, and I'm just, I'm basically just petrified. Like, you're not going to let me in the house. It was like, until you tell the truth, you're not stepping a foot up in my house. And so I stood out there for a while because I was still like, my mom says, headstrong child but I, I stood out there I was like I'm not going to say it and it got cold but finally I just gave in because I was too cold and I just wanted to go to sleep and you know that's basically like the sum of the sum up of me having to deal with this whole situation with Nathan is that I always just had to just tell tell them that I was you know that I did it I asked Tamika where she is with Nathan now she said that for years, she wouldn't even go to family functions if she thought she would see him. I wouldn't come to, if he was going to be there, I would like hide in my house. Like my kids witnessed me like not answering the door, shutting off all the lights, acting like we weren't there because I didn't want to see him. And they didn't know why. He told Tomiko he thought they were just going to let their past be water under the bridge, to which she said, In what world do you live in? Because that kind of stuff, we don't just act as if, it didn't happen. Nathan eventually confessed his crimes and framing Tomiko to his parents. I asked her how her parents reacted to his confession. My mom kind of changed a little bit. My dad, he kind of just stayed the same. Because my dad's never, re- he's just a very like stoic type person. He doesn't show a lot of emotion unless it's anger. So he was just like, oh. And I was like, oh, great. Like, this made a big difference. You know, it's like, well, at least for myself, I felt like he acknowledged that he messed up and that I could try to, try to move on from that because I don't think I'm going to get anything else from that. Four years ago, Nathan passed away. After marrying a woman who was a substance abuser, he started using harder drugs than he ever had before. Their parents told him to get his act together or he was going to lose his kids, so he quit cold turkey. But his wife couldn't get clean, so he took his two children. He didn't want them to go into foster care like he had once been. Unfortunately, he got hurt playing semi-pro football, got pain pills, relapsed, and died of an overdose. And, and it's sad, and, and um, I've forgiven Nathan, and it's very sad, but for me... It was almost freeing, and that sounds bad, but for me, I think I needed that. And I think my parents, you know, they have to deal with that, and that sucks, but I feel like it's almost brought us closer because I feel like we've gone full circle. Yeah, I mean, you've a a lifelong torment. Yeah, a lifelong tormentor comes in and divides your family and, you know, isn't exactly emotionally apologetic when he finally comes clean. I could see how you did need that. I'm sure you wish that it could be different. Nobody, it's a rare, rare person that wishes for the death of another person. But for that, for that other individual to be permanently gone from your life. 
is ultimately what you wanted. I get the sense that you you wish it hadn't been his death, but that if you could yeah, get that permanence, yeah. that it would have been the same thing. Exactly. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I, I think I feel more sad about the fact that he left kids behind. Over the years, Tamiko looked again for her biological relatives. She knew she could potentially get her information through her adoption agency, so she emailed them. But at that time, the $50 fee was a big sum for her while raising kids. Finally, in 2018, she got the funds together. So I call and I say, hey, you know, um, I wanted to know what the fee was. You know, I didn't know if it had changed, but I want to know the fee so I can get my uh, non-identifying information from my, you know, my file. And they were like, oh, um, we don't do that anymore. And I was like, you don't do what anymore? Like, you don't give people their information? Wow. And she was like, no, we don't charge people anymore. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, this is supposed to happen. Within days, she got her paperwork notarized. She sent her information off to the caseworker, who said they'd be in touch in a week, which turned into two nerve-wracking weeks. In March, she's at one of her three jobs working as a receptionist. So the email comes, and I see it, and I'm trying to not open it because (laughs) I'm sitting as a receptionist at the front desk, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, I was like, I have to open this. So then I I finally open it, and I'm looking down, and I'm like trying to just skim, skim the information, and as I'm reading more, it's like, you know, hi, Tamiko, you know, this is the information that we prepared for you. And, you know, if you have any questions, you know, blah, 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 give us the, you know, email back. And so I'm looking. And at this point, it's giving me information about my biological mother, besides her just being a drug addict or prostitute, be a prostitute, and a, you know, alcoholic. This is turning her into a real person. And I'm like, I've never, I've never looked at my mom like that. It's always, I think somebody was always trying to make her seem like a bad person. So it seemed like my adoption was like this great thing, which it was. But it's like, don't make her look like a monster. And so when I'm reading this information, it's saying, you know, your mom likes sports and she was good at art and, you know, she had you when she was when she was uh, 21, and I was like, wow, you know, I thought my mom was a young mom, you know, I had all these things that I had, like, conjured up in my head, and it was, like, totally not this person, so at that point, I was like, okay, before, I just wanted just a picture of my mother, trying to just see what I I look like, Mm -hmm. I never had the desire to meet her at any point, after I read this, it was totally different. I was literally on the hunt to find my mother. The information Tamika read humanized her birth mother in a way she had never done herself. Her adoption had been painted in her mind as a rescue. It was true that her birth mother, Mary, had been on drugs, been an alcoholic, and was a prostitute. But she was clean at the time she was pregnant with Tamiko. So, of course, I was like, oh, there's hope. You know, she's this, you know, she is a good person. I mean, I'm I don't question her being a good person. I just think she made bad choices. And I think it's a result of things that may have happened to her. You know, people don't just do things. Like, I, I think something yeah. happens to you and, and you make those choices. Right. So, yeah, I just I just was really kind of like, I need to find her. Because 
I don't care about whatever else happened. I don't care. We're grown now. You know, even if I meet you and you don't want to have a relationship with me after that, like I meet you and then we talk and, and that's it. At least I know, you know, at least I've seen you. Right. At least I didn't give up and I, I found you. Right. Well, um, I did, I have not found my mother yet, but I found her brother. <laughs> wow. Yeah, she has three older brothers. Tamiko's paperwork had all of her relatives' names on it, and she joked that finding black people with original names in Salt Lake City, Utah, it wasn't hard to find her Uncle Verdo. She found his picture on Facebook, then found him on Intellius, an online resource that scours public records. She got his phone number, and she texted him, and... He knew exactly who I was. Really? Wow. My mother gave me that name. Yeah, he knew my name. So your mother gave you that name, and it was never changed? It was never changed. Wow. So when Tomiko calls, he knew exactly who you were. Yeah, he saw the the text message like, wow. (laughs) Like, like this is years and years and years later. He he just said, "I, I always wondered where you guys went to. He was like, I had no idea. About a week later. After he traveled to Portland for his wife's bowling league and he had time to absorb what was happening, Tamiko and her uncle talked by phone. He he called me his niece from Jump. Like, we got on the phone and I was like, hi, my name is, you know, Tamiko. I'm doing, you know, it's like, I, I didn't even know if he knew that I was his, his niece at this point. I said, I'm doing this research. I'm trying to find my birth family. He's like, oh, yeah, you're my niece. I've been wondering where you were all this time. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, at that point, I was kind of, like, taken back, like, you know me? And so he was like, yeah, I haven't seen your mom since, like, 82. Wow. Like, you haven't seen my mom since 82? I'm like, but why? Did you not look for her? You know, I didn't say that, but in my head, I was thinking that. There's a lot of people in the family who had a lot of drug issues, crime issues, in and out of jail. He, he wasn't the one in the family who did that. Mm. He, he worked at a newspaper. He, he got married young. He had kids. Like, he was trying to, because when they were younger, my grandmother was very poor. She didn't have a husband. She had, you know, she, all, all the kids had different dads. Like, he was trying to set a foundation and build a family, and keeping up with my mother was not part of that yeah. situation. She said it was crazy to talk with someone in her biological family. Tomiko said Verdo felt very badly that he didn't have any information about where her birth mother was. He offered to send Tomiko pictures of her birth mother, but the very first time she saw her face was online at mugshots.com. And so when I did look there, there was about six mugshots of my mother. But it's crazy because you can kind of see the progression because, it's, you know, it has a year next to it. The first mugshot, she just looked sad. She didn't look like she was angry. And as the years progressed, she just got angrier and she just looked more, just, just more torn down. Really? Oh. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find her. I mean, who knows? I mean, she just looks angry. And I remember in my life being like that same look on her face is like, I could totally, I, I use that as a defense mechanism you know, over time. Like, I I make that same face mm-hmm. because I didn't want people to get in. And so she has this huge wall. It was like the walls kept getting 
higher and higher as the mugshots, you know, were just coming up. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I don't want to remember my mom like this. This, this sucks. Tamiko started receiving pictures of her birth mother from the years before the mugshots, and she was beautiful. And my youngest son looks identical to her. I don't look like my mother. Wow. But my youngest son looks like her, and it just blew me away. Like, I've been staring at my son's face this whole time, wondering why he doesn't look like me. Like, he kind of looks like his father. But as soon as I saw that picture of my mother, he looked just like her. And even when he saw the picture, he was like, Mom, that's weird. I was like, yeah, that is kind of weird. Wow. <laughs> yeah, when a person sees yeah. their own face on another person, that's validation right oh, there. Yeah. Verdo, his wife, and their son, Wesley, visited Tomiko. And to see his emotion, you know, like he's a very stoic dude, but you could tell that he was like, wow, I can't believe I'm meeting my niece. And I look just like my grandmother. So for him to see his mother in me, you know, I think was kind of an emotional thing for him. And they gave me her wedding rings. Oh, wow. Which was like, yeah, that that was like, I mean, we've been talking since March, but I'm like, to give me the wedding rings of your mother is kind of like, I felt really like honored, like I couldn't believe they would do that. But yeah, I look identical to my grandmother. Like, it's just, she's a little bit darker and she had her eyes, eyebrows drawn in back in the day because she was a jazz singer. Mm. But she kind of had this like, you know, persona she had to put on. I guess, you know, back in the Utah Utah had, like, a very, like, underground jazz scene, like, all the black people. There was, like, the circuit, like, I guess the, I think it's the chilling circuit, like, went from, you know, down south all the way up to Utah, and um, her mother was a jazz singer also. I always wanted to be a singer, and and I just didn't know where it came from. Well, there it is. Tamiko learned so much about herself that she took an ancestry DNA test to learn more. Her results were returned in two weeks, and when she saw her matches, she was surprised by the number of people she was related to. So my first match was a close family match, and the uh, initials were X uh, C, and, I, and it said managed by Mary. Well, my biological mother's name was Mary, so I was kind of like, who is this Mary? Is this my mother? So I reached out and messaged her, and she said, oh, no, I did this... Uh, I did a DNA test on my granddaughter. She's like, I live in Nebraska, you know, but she was a white woman. Um, and and my my uh, granddaughter's name is Ochitl. And that's what the X comes from. And I was like, really? And so she started giving me, so I was like, okay, so that was all she gave me. So I messaged back. I said, well, well maybe this, you know, maybe this can be like a, a half brother or, or something, you know, maybe this is my niece or Something like that. She said, well, no, this couldn't be a calf brother because this guy's 68 years old. I was like, what? Hmm. So I'm working at, with a search angel at this point, and she starts looking at the information. I gave her access to my account. And she starts looking at the, the, the information and then, like, how Zochitl's, you know, DNA matches with mine. She said, this isn't your half-brother, this is your father. And I was like, what? Wow. I said, her dad is my dad? I said, this kid is two years old. Wow. And they have another kid who's seven months old. And so 
the the Lady Mary, her daughter is with my father, and she's 28. So there's a big, huge age difference. Tamiko learned that her birth father was living in Wyoming in a very simple bus that had been converted into a house. Mary and her daughter divulged Tamiko's birth father's past, unsure of how he'll react to her emergence, but they don't put Tamiko in touch with the man. The girlfriend seemed to be protecting her own interests in the relationship, possibly because he was her breadwinner. Tamiko did an end around, locating the man's niece through Ancestry and then Facebook. The niece spoke to her uncle about Tamiko. And he denies it. He was like, he may not have known about me. He may not have known he got my mother pregnant. Mm-hmm. But he's saying, I took all the precautions. I don't care. He's not my kid. The only kids I have are the kids that I have with my current girlfriend. And that's mm. it. So, you know, at least I know now. I mean, I have a father. <laughs> but, you know... If he doesn't want to, if he doesn't want to talk to me, all I wanted to know was was my roots. I don't really care past that. Despite it all, Tamiko learned that her heritage is Mayan and her great grandmothers were Mayan medicine women. Of all the things she thought she might be, Mexican was never a thought in her mind. Now that she knows the truth, she sees it in the mirror, and it totally makes sense why Mexican people have approached her for years trying to speak Spanish. I asked Tamiko if she had considered writing the classic adoptee introductory letter to her birth father. It's one thing to hear that you have a daughter from a third party like your niece, but it's something different to actually read the words from your daughter. She's not sure how she would get a letter to him because he lives in a bus. I really want to because I think that he does need to hear it from me because he thinks that I'm in cahoots with the grandmother. Like, we set this up. Like, this is a, a, a way of getting him, like, making him look really bad. And that's not the case. Like, I, I, he really thinks someone's out to get him. He's a very private person, and he doesn't believe in taking DNA tests. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't like the government. I mean, he's very... Oh, yeah. Secretive. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm... I, I'm kind of like, I don't know if I can plead my case after he already thinks that I'm in in on this with the grandmother. And I'm just like, I, dude, I mean, if I have to, maybe I'll just drive out there. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Let me ask so. you one final question. You've been through a lot. Nathan tormented yeah. you. Your parents right. didn't believe you, and you were guilty in their court before you had a chance to plead your case. You have your maternal biological relatives and, you know, I'm sure the connection, it was good to finally have a connection, but you still haven't found your mom and your dad has denied you. How are you doing now? You know, surprisingly, I'm doing really great. Like, I feel like at this point in my life, I literally found... Like, I think I've always looked for someone else to feel like that, you know, the happiness void, which I think everybody does, you know, like relationships or friendships or whatever. But now I'm good on my own. Like, I feel like I've I've really just, I've really come to a point where I'm like, I know who I am and um, I'm happy. And regardless of me not finding my mom yet, I'm still going to push through and, you know, I think life in general is hard and there are ups and downs and I think it's just how you deal with it. And I'm 
I, for some reason, I feel like I deal with stress a lot better than a lot of people. There's a picture of me at two and a half years old, and I'm looking at this picture, and I'm so, like, happy. And I'm thinking, I'm in a foster home. These were taken in foster care. How is this child so happy mm-hmm. when they're not even with the family they belong in? Like, I literally, I feel like I've gone through so much crap in my life that I don't, I don't see how I didn't become, you know, a drug addict. For some reason, I kept pushing through. You know, I just think that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty strong in that sense. That's so, amazing. You know, I'm going to keep pushing through. That's really fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. I'm 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 really glad to hear that because it takes a lot to get to this point, and in your oh, yeah. you know late thirties, you're you've pretty much figured out who you're going to be, and and oh, I'm yeah. glad to hear that you're in a positive space where you're willing to accept whatever you find out next about your biological relatives. But I know that the curiosity is just it can be a real driving force, and I hope you get some answers from them sometime soon. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, it was really good talking to you. You know, I listened to the podcast, like, faithfully. I think I've listened to every single one. Oh, that's so awesome, Tamiko. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you taking time to share your own story. I, I, I know I hear from a lot of adoptees that they appreciate hearing the stories of others. And I'm, I'm really thankful that you decided to be a contributor, too. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. Take it's care. Been, it's been, it helped me a lot through mine. My, my journey. So Good. thank you for doing this for the people that are adopted. No, my pleasure. Absolutely right. my pleasure. All the best to you, Tamiko. Take care. Thanks for your time. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. I was really sorry to hear that Tamiko's adopted brother entered their family with a mission to bring her down. But as she alluded to, I'm sure his past had scarred him and taught him to bring others down to somehow feel better about himself. She said that despite her birth father's denial and the fact that he forbade his family from speaking to her, she's okay. She told me in an email that life's a journey and she knows she's loved. Tamiko's search for her birth mother continues. I'm Damon Davis and I hope you'll find something in Tamiko's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can choose to share your whole story, maintain some privacy about parts of your journey, or share completely anonymously. You can find the show at facebook.com slash whoamireally or follow me on Twitter at whoamireally. And please, if you like the show, you can support me at patreon.com slash WAI Really. You can subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, it would mean so much to me if you would take a moment to share a rating or leave a comment. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too.